Well, it is the most wonderful time of the year. I remember growing up as a kid and the weeks between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas just seemed like an eternity. Uh, I think part of that is like just being a kid, being on pins and needles, uh, eagerly awaiting for, you know, the last school bell to ring so that I could be on winter break, waiting for my parents to wake up on Christmas morning so that I can run out of my bedroom like a lion on the hunt and tear open the Christmas presents under the tree. Um, but also, I think part of the reason why I just have so much excitement about Christmas was because, well, my, my family kind of went all out with the decorations. Uh, before the Thanksgiving turkey even got cold, we would be up in the attic taking down the boxes of Christmas decorations. And my job as a kid was always the job that um, nobody wanted to do, but I was a kid and so I couldn't, you know, protest this at all. Like I got to live indoors and eat. So um, my job as a kid though, was uh, to untangle the Christmas lights and to check every bulb. Anybody else have that job, right? It's the worst, it's the worst job. Um, and we had a lot of lights. Like my family went big on decorations. We had outside lights, inside lights, not just one Christmas tree, but two Christmas trees with all of the ornaments. We had bows and stockings and uh, Christmas cookies and nutcrackers and snowmen and pies and bows on everything, wrapping paper everywhere. Actually, um, while I have you all here, let, let, can I just petition you for a poll so you can just settle a debate that's been going around in the Knot House for years? Um, by by show, show of hands, how many of you uh, don't wrap your stocking gifts? You know, the little things that go in the stockings. How many of you don't wrap those gifts? Okay. How many of you do wrap the stocking gifts? Okay, thank you for having some Christmas cheer and joy, all right? The rest of you, bah humbug, right? Just wrap the toothbrush, it's not that big of a deal. Anyways, um, perhaps, perhaps your house is, is on the way to being transformed and prepared for Christmas. I know the city is, like lights are coming up around the city. A lot of shops, businesses have decorations up. I mean, we, we are decorating for Christmas, our churches. It looks pretty nice, pretty cool, I think. Um, but, but you know this, that before Christmas looks magical, it just kind of looks like a mess, right, beforehand. You, you pull out that box from the attic that's marked Xmas decorations, right? And maybe you have multiple of them. And you start pulling stuff out, and usually you know this, that the things look a little bit worse before they start to look better. And so you've just finished cleaning up Thanksgiving dinner, and then all of the sudden your house turns into this. Glitter, garland, bows, everything just everywhere really is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? But this, all this, well, I think this is actually Advent. 
this kind of sums up these next four weeks. Sort of just a mess. But this is kind of the point of this season. That we're called to sort of look at the mess and to live in it. To see that's all that is unfinished, all, all that is undone, all the work that, that we still have left to do, and just kind of look at it. But we know that all this stuff, everything has a point and a purpose. We know that in the end, it's going to be beautiful. But right now, just kind of looks like a mess. For those of you who didn't grow up in a church that um, celebrated or recognized the season of Advent, it's really just these four weeks that lead up to Christmas. Now, over the centuries in the church, the church has kind of spiritualized it. We've put themes with it to make it a little bit more hallmarky to kind of fit in with the Christmas season. But, but really, it's just the time in the church where we take a look at, at all that's unfinished. All the things that, that we have left to do, all, all the disarray and the chaos, all that's undone in the world. And, and we say, somebody's got to do something about this. It's, it's like we're actually watching the sausage be made, right? It's not a pretty thing. And so you know this, that whenever you prepare something, there's two things that you've got to be really, really clear about. You, you, can, you can play around in the middle, but, but two things you've got to be really clear about. You've got to be clear about what you want the final product to, to be when, when you're done with it all. And you've got to be really clear about the raw materials that you have currently to get you from A to B. So when you're prepping Christmas cookies, right, you, you have to be really clear about what you want them to look like, taste like, smell like, and you've got to be really clear about what you have to get you there. Do you have flour? Do you have sugar? Do you have milk? Do you have eggs? Do you have salt? All of that stuff. And, and so uh, the question is, how do we get these raw materials of, of what we have now to look like this in the end? So Advent, Advent is a season where, where we prepare for Christ coming. And not just, not just his birth in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago and singing, you know, sweet little baby Jesus in the manger. But, but it's also a time where we prepare for Christ's second coming. His coming back to earth at the end of time. And, and we're, given, we're given what the final product is. We're, we're given the vision, the clear vision of what God wants this world to be like. A world without hatred or violence. A world where there is no more weeping or sorrow or tears or death or injustice. That's the final project. And we look at what we have to work with. And sometimes it looks, well, just sort of like a mess. You see, Advent is a time where we, we take inventory. But, but we take inventory with, with hopeful expectation. That, that even though this all looks kind of like a mess right now, but we know that, that in the end, it, it could be something magical. 
Now, just a little bit of history um, before we get too deep in today. Um, in the ancient world, kings would often go and visit the cities that they were in charge of. But before the king would arrive, he would send a messenger out ahead of him. And the messenger would announce to all the people in the city, the king is coming, the king is coming, the king is coming, get ready, the king is on his way. And the people would get ready. They, they would prepare a feast. They would fix all the potholes in the roads. They would repair broken down uh, buildings. The people would be dressed in their nicest clothes. And the Roman Empire during Jesus's day did this same thing. A messenger would go out in advance. Get ready, get ready. The king is coming. The emperor is coming. Fix the streets, prepare a feast, repair the buildings. And the people were all so excited about the king, the emperor who was to come now that word uh for uh that word uh coming or arrival in latin is the word adventus adventus and it means coming or arrival and what do you do when you're uh waiting for someone to arrive you prepare and so let me let me show you a coin here uh this coin was uh depicts emperor trajan decius and he reigned from uh 249 to 251 a.d so about 250 years after jesus was born and in the cities that were large enough uh, they would actually mint um their own coins for this kind of advent time to prepare for the king the emperor to come and so it's it's a little hard to see but but uh, you see Emperor Trajan on uh, one side, and then that's the back side. Um, those last three letters that kind of scoop around, it's A-U-G, stands for Augustus. And that means just highly favored one, highly respected one. Uh, but then you see the, the first ones are A-D-V-E-N-T-U-S, Adventus or Adventus. You see, uh, that picture there is the emperor depicted on his horse riding in to town. His, his arrival, his coming, his adventus. And that was just kind of a neat part of history. Um, but when the early Christians were uh, trying to mark on the calendar, when was Jesus born? Because they didn't actually know the date of Jesus's birth. Nobody knew that. We know when he died, uh, but we don't know the exact date of when he was uh, born. In around 300 AD, uh, Christians set the date for Jesus's birth on December 25th, because according to the old calendar, that, that was the night of the winter solstice. And, and the reason they set the date for that time is because when they were deciding when to celebrate Jesus's birthday, the winter solstice was the shortest day of the year. And from that night forward, uh, the nights would get shorter and the days would get longer. The, the darkness would be less and the light would last longer. This is before daylight saving times, but you know, we kind of get this today, right? When it's like pitch black out at 4.30 and you just want to go to bed and you think it's midnight and you're like, oh no, I haven't had dinner yet, right? Um, we, we understand this. And so the early church decided, they said, what, what better time than when the heavens themselves are declaring that light has pierced into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's celebrate the Lord's birth, our Savior's birth, this time. 
And so they said, okay, December 25th, it is. Now, um, what, what, should we, what should we do to prepare for that? They said, well, we should have some sort of feast, right? We, we should have some sort of feast, some sort of mass for that day. And we'll call it the, Chris, the Christ Mass, Christmas, right? And, and we should have a season where we're preparing for this feast, preparing for this mass. But, but what do we call this season that's leading up to the Christ Mass, to Christmas? What do we call that season of preparation? And they said, well, you know what we call it when the king comes into town, we call it Adventus. And so let's call this our Adventus because our emperor, our king is coming. Jesus is coming. King Jesus is coming. And so Advent, Advent isn't just extending the Christmas day. It's not, it's not the holly jolly season. And even though your, your houses, our church might be fully decorated already, really, this is a time that we take to just prepare. We, we take inventory of what we have. We kind of look at the mess and all that is undone, all that's left to still be done in our world. We look at all the unfinished and we wait and we hope to see something beautiful in the end. Because the way things look now, well, there's still a lot left to be undone. There's still, there's still wars. There's still hatred. There's still violence. There's mass shootings. There's still a lot of work that is left to be done. And some of you, I mean, you get this because you know that you still have a lot of work yet to do to be ready for Christmas. Some of you, I know you already did all of your holiday shopping on Friday. Good for you. But for the rest of us, there's still a lot of preparation that needs to take place. And so here's, here's, really, here's really the question is this season, are, are you preparing for Christ? Are, are you preparing for, for Christ to come? Or, or maybe to ask the question in, in just a different way, does your Christmas even need Jesus? Does your Christmas celebration, the holiday, all of that stuff, does it even, does it need Jesus? Or would you be just fine without him? Would you even notice that he was gone? Can you do all this? Can you prepare all this? Fix all of this mess without him? Or have you already tried to do it on your own? Do you need Jesus this Christmas season? See, Advent is our time to prepare for King Jesus to come. And we, we take a look at, at where we want to be, that the finished product of this world, God's dream for this world and our current state of things, the raw materials that we have, and we get ready. We prepare, we adventus. And our, our messenger for this Advent season is a man named John. He's Jesus's cousin. You might know him better as John the Baptist. Uh, now, John, he started his public ministry about six months before Jesus started his. And so six months, um, because John's job was to prepare the people 
for their king. John's job was to prepare the people for King Jesus to come, to prepare the way for Christ to come. John's mission from God was to prepare the people for their savior. And so John, he's, he's the opener for the headliner, for the main event. He's, he's the messenger of the king. He's the one who says, the king is coming. The king is coming. Get ready. The king is coming. So the story of Jesus's birth, it, it, it doesn't start in a manger with shepherds out in a field. It doesn't start with Mary and Joseph. It actually begins 400 years for 400 years of waiting, 400 years of silence, waiting to hear from God, 400 years waiting for a message of hope that God would bring the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord, a 400-year Advent season of preparation, expectation that God would once again speak a word. And so if you open up your Bibles uh, to the New Testament, uh, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, but if you just turn it back a page, you'll find uh, the prophet Malachi. And the prophet Malachi ends his, his sort of writing to uh, the people and saying, hey, look, uh, a prophet is coming who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He will turn people's hearts back to God. That's how Malachi ends his story that we heard read just a minute ago. And then there's nothing for 400 years. Silence. You see, in Luke's telling of the Christmas story, uh, Luke actually begins his story in just a sort of ordinary, mundane way. He, he starts his story by telling us about uh, two ordinary, sort of elderly people, a couple named uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, they had always hoped that they would have a baby, but for their entire lives, they were unable to get pregnant. And now they're out of that um, age bracket to be expecting a little bundle of joy. Now they're both well into their golden years, never had any children. And um, we don't know much about Elizabeth and Zechariah, except that they lived in a town near the city of Jerusalem. And that's where the temple was kind of God's uh, main sanctuary was in the city of Jerusalem. And they leave, lived in a neighboring uh, village and Zechariah was a priest, um, a Jewish priest. And so as the story goes, Zechariah, one day goes into the temple because uh, it says that he was chosen by lottery. He kind of got the short straw and had to go to the temple and offer uh, uh, burned incense to God. And um, uh, Zechariah and the other priests, they didn't work in the temple all the time. Zechariah was actually probably a shepherd who just kind of uh, got the call and said, hey, you're up, you're on duty. Uh, you got the short straw, you got to go uh, offer sacrifices. And so um, Zechariah, um, this was this was sort of a big deal to him because this was probably like a once in a lifetime thing to offer sacrifices, to go into the holiest part of the temple, the holiest part in all of the world and burn offerings there to God. So this is a pretty big deal for Zechariah, probably once in a lifetime. And so he goes into the temple with his bowl of incense uh, to burn it and offer it uh, before God. No one else is there because no one besides Zechariah is allowed to be in this part of the temple. Um, 
But as he's in this place, he, he turns and he looks out of the corner of his eye. He sees an angel standing there. And the angel says, Zechariah, don't be afraid for, for I have such great news for you. God has heard your prayers. You, you've prayed for a child your whole life long. And now God has heard your prayers. God's going to answer your prayer and give you and Elizabeth a child. And Zechariah probably thought, I did pray for a baby in my prime, <laughs> Not really looking to do potty training in my 90s, right? And and also, uh, does Medicare cover Elizabeth's OB visits? Like, how, what's what's going on here? But the angel goes on, and the angel says, yeah, Elizabeth is going to have a child. It's going to be a boy, and you are to name him John, for he will prepare the way for the Messiah, the Lord. And, and then at that moment, the first thing out of Zechariah's mouth is this. And, and let me just say, um, if you ever meet an angel and the angel brings you some just really awesome news, uh, don't say this to them. Okay. This is, this is what Zechariah says. Uh, Luke 1 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? <laughs> My wife and I are very old. Like, what kind of response is that, dude? Like, an angel from God comes, tells you something really incredible and awesome, and you say, how can I know that I can trust you? How, how can I be sure about this? How do I know that you're telling me the truth here? I think this kind of irritates the angel. And so here's what the angel says back to Zechariah. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. Okay. I stand in God's presence. You get it? <laughs> I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. And so know this, listen up. What I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Angels can be a little finicky, I, I suppose, a little fickle. Um, Gabriel, maybe he woke up on the wrong side of the cloud in heaven or something. Um, but I just, I love this story uh, because this is, this is the prelude to the Jesus story. This is how Luke tells us it all began. Sort of an ordinary couple going about their everyday lives. And they, they had probably given up hope. That ship has sailed. We're, we're not expecting kids anytime soon. And you know what? It is what it is. Life just happens that way sometimes. Why, why would we expect anything to change? And that's probably also how everybody felt. God had been silent for 400 years, ever, ever since Malachi. 400 years since the prophet Malachi spoke these words. Malachi chapter 3 says this. says, look, I am sending my messenger who will clear a path before me. Sounds great, but when? I mean, it's, it's been so long and, and nothing. You ever felt that way before? When? Anytime now, God, I'm just here waiting. And here's Zechariah and he says, 
I, I, can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, Zechariah, God's going to fulfill God's promises. I'll believe it when I see it. I've been waiting for so long. Now it says that Zechariah was, was a righteous man. He loved God. He served God. He was a priest. And, and, yet, and yet he doubts. That, that gives me some, some comfort that, that God works through this kind, these kind of people. But it wasn't just that Zechariah doubted. It's that he was certain about his doubts. He didn't, he didn't say to Gabriel, okay, hey, listen, Gabe, how's this all going to go down? Because Elizabeth and I were not really spring chickens anymore. Um, but no, he says, how can I be sure of this? There's, there's certainty to his unbelief. You see, doubt's not a bad thing. God does not shy away from doubts. What, what is a problem, though, is our certainty. That, that God doesn't call us to be certain. God doesn't call us to certainty. God calls us to mystery, to, to embrace the mystery of God. And so Zechariah, he's unable to speak for nine months. And, and I think maybe that was just a gift to Elizabeth because the last thing that a pregnant woman wants to hear is the sound of her husband's voice. Um, but also, also imagine Zechariah. He's got this just amazing news that he wants to shout from every rooftop. We're going to have a baby. We're going to have a baby. But all he can do is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Zechariah, he can't speak until John is born. And then eight days after when he's circumcised, Zechariah still can't speak, but it was the duty of the father to name uh, the baby. And so Zechariah has to improvise here because he's supposed to give this child a name, but he can't speak. So he has to improvise. It says this verse 63, it says, after asking for a tablet, he surprised everyone by writing his name is John, Johanna. In Hebrew, at that moment, Zechariah was able to speak again, and he began praising God. The name John in Hebrew is Yohana. In, in Hebrew, it means uh, the Lord, Yahweh, Yo, Yo, um, is gracious, Yohana. So, so this is the story that John the Baptist is going to tell with his whole life, that God is gracious, that the God will come back because God will forgive you. God always welcomes you no matter where you've been, what you've been doing. God always welcomes you because God is gracious. God, John came to show us that God is gracious. Now we may not associate John the Baptist with grace, but it's all about grace because we think of John the Baptist as this kind of like crazy guy that lives out in the wilderness. And he was, we'll talk about that next week, but it's all about grace because God is not like Santa Claus. God does not have a, a naughty or nice list. God makes it fall, makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. God is for every person. God is for all. We'll talk about that more with John's message. But maybe today, maybe today, well, maybe we feel a little bit like Zechariah. That we're here. We've shown up. We're in the temple, God's house. 
We're here to worship. We've done our duty. Christmas is on the calendar, just, just as it is every year. And we know we have a lot to prepare. There's, there's decorations to hang, food to make, presents to buy and wrap, family and friends to invite over. And, and we're just beginning to get stressed about how stressed we're actually going to be at the end of all of it. And sometimes we can just get so caught up in the ritual of it all in all that is Christmas. And, and we don't, we don't take a step back to allow ourselves to be surprised by the reason for it. This, this ancient story, do we really expect anything new to happen? Are, are we, are we preparing for Christmas or are we preparing for Christ? And so when, when you put up your decorations this year, is baby Jesus just another ornament? Just sits next to the nutcrackers and the snowmen? Or, or do you actually, actually really, really need Jesus to come? Are you, are you in this Advent season waiting, preparing, hoping, expecting Christ to come? It's easy to prepare decorations. The, the question though is, are you prepared for the King? Are you prepared for King Jesus? And so every um, week in the season of Advent to help us prepare, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion together. Um, an ancient practice of the church that we've been doing. And, and maybe this is just a, a reminder for you every single week that God is gracious, that, that Jesus gave his life so that we might have life abundantly. Maybe it's preparation for endurance, food, spiritual food that sustains you through the long haul of this uh, season. Lord knows we need that. We're going to do this every week as a way to come together to prepare ourselves and remind ourselves that, yeah, things are still undone, but we know that there is a feast that waits for us in heaven. Let's pray. And so, holy God, we need you to come. show up in our hearts and in our lives because yes, Lord, we, we need Christmas, but God, right now we need this time to prepare. And so Lord, we, we pray that you would cleanse our hearts right now, wash away any guilt or shame or sin by your gracious forgiveness that you pour out pour out your spirit on us, pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, Lord, that they would be for us the body and blood of Jesus so that we might be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. God, make us one with each other, one with you, one in mission and ministry for all the world that we might be the ones, the messengers who call out, prepare the way, prepare the way the King is coming. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our King who is coming. 
meet with us here now, we pray in your name. Amen.